BJ Council. I view the world through the lens of having been followed by a white clerk as a child while shopping in a five and dime. I'm a retired police executive and own UN50, which gives guidance on surviving interactions with police. I'm Harmony Chavis, and I view the world through the lens of one of the most misunderstood and diverse generations in our nation's history. I'm a social worker and a believer of radical kindness and love as modalities of healing. My name is Andrew Council. I view the world through the lens of a generational camera phone. I wake up as a black male and go to bed as a black male. I am surviving this never-ending court case we commonly call life in the best way I know how. So, welcome back to you and Five O. We really appreciate you guys joining us again. Um, actually, this is going to be not a, next to the last um, podcast that we're doing for the year. These are our last two guests that we're having. So, we're excited that they are helping us close out our year and our podcast for 2020. And um, looking forward, they may even come back to see us in 2021. Um, so, thanks again for for joining you and Five O. And as usual. I want to just say, you know, hey, and check in with Harmony and Andrew. So, Harmony, first this time. I did. You did. You know, you've been switching it up, BJ, so I appreciate it. I'm good. Um, Excited for my upcoming trip to Mexico. Um, Yeah, I know. I was kind of on the fence about it. And now that I'm actually going, I'm super paranoid about COVID. And I'm like, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done this. But I'm so (laughs) cheap and I've already paid for everything. So, I I guess I'm just going to have to take the risk and. I hope that it all is, is for the best. But, yeah, I'm good. Good. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Yeah, thanks. Drew, how you doing? Everything's going good. Just submitted my first three full-time applications for after graduation. Um, wow. Scary. But it's, I'm trying to be productive and start early. That's all. Wow. Three job applications. I know that doesn't sound like – when you say it, it doesn't sound like a lot. but It yeah. is a lot. That is a lot. Uh, that's mean, a lot. That is a lot. I mean, you're graduating from college, you, and you haven't grad. You're about to graduate from college. That's a lot. Do you graduate in December or May? In May. I, I don't even think I applied to a job until like July, and that was after I was already broke. So that's impressive. <laughs> okay. Now, th- now that we know, <laughs> okay. I didn't turn out so bad. No, you didn't. You, you, you're all right with me. <laughs> Uh, all right. So thanks, guys, for, for just checking in and, and seeing how they've been doing. So what we have, we have two guests. We have Ms. Martina Dunford and Quilly Coth. And I want to introduce them to you, but what I kind of want to set, what, why I've invited them. I've known them for four years. And um, we're going to talk about our last show. We talked about defunding police. Uh, we've talked, you know, we've, as we've been talking about things and what lies within the in the boundaries of what people want law enforcement to do and who they're interacting with. Um, and one of the things that, uh, as a black female, what I know and what we see is that kids need help. And law enforcement isn't necessarily the place to do that. The communities need help. Not necessarily the place to do that is with law enforcement, even though a lot of societal ills rest at the doorstep of law enforcement. And these two individuals I've known for years who are who I consider, they're on the ground. They're working with the kids that you may read about, hear about, suspended from school, getting in trouble. Those, these are the individuals who are saving those lives. And um, they support law enforcement, but they also understand it's, it's bigger 
than law enforcement. And the work that they do uh, is work that, again, uh, I know it's so cliche, but it, they are on the ground. They're, they're, they're doing the real hard work. And so um, we're going we're gonna to hear from them. And we're going to talk about uh, one of the reasons we even kind of kicked it off. A friend of mine, uh, Ann Osha with Alliance, kind of brought to me this thing called uh, trauma-informed community building. And that kind of got the conversation because meeting people where they are. Uh, and, and instead of, I think the incident that kind of generated the conversation between uh, Ms. Oshel and I was the incident at Rochelle, where police officers pointed a gun at, at some kids. And the thing was, you know, we, yes, they need mental and need to talk about that, but they probably need to talk about something prior to that incident. So how do we do the work? And this, uh, and, and I'll list, I'll have this uh, link for this book information, Trauma and for Community Building, uh, that how do we get this work done before police get in the space? I mean, the DJ, really quick question. Yeah, Sorry, before you finish. Could you expand a, a, upon what happened at Rochelle Street? I don't think I've heard of that. And then to clarify, neither one of you guys are like sworn officers. You guys are just community members that saw a gap in services and decided to get involved. Is that correct? Right. Okay, awesome. You know my heart swells when we when we talk about like community work, so I'm really excited for this. Thank y'all for for coming. Yeah, sorry about that. So it happened maybe probably a month ago. I'm not real sure, but basically there was a call at Rochelle Manor, and mm -hmm. the officers were looking for someone and ended up pulling pointing a gun at some juveniles, mm. and it was, it was all in the press and all this kind of stuff. So. The thing is, the discussion that Ms. Social and I had was, you know, that was traumatic for the kids. And now, you know, we want to go down and talk to them. But the thing is, why don't we do all this work before this happens to help them figure out how to deal with this if this happens and things like this happen. So just again, this conversation is, is talking to folks that are getting the work done, um, getting the real work done. So Martina uh, Dunford is a founder, uh, used to be the school at New Horizon, but now it's called the Hub of Durham. Uh, from 2014, uh, since 2014. Her philosophy is everyone deserves a second chance. She works with kids who struggle in traditional school settings. And I heard her on YouTube just recently, and she said she believes that when your heart is in it, there ain't no way you can turn away from it. And that's so true. So I, I appreciate that. So Martina, you kind of want to elaborate a little bit more about, you know, what you do and, and, and your passion? Oh, of course. Um always happy to share, uh, looking for heart people, people who really actually care. Uh, you, uh, it's a lot. You, you can't teach people to like people. And, and, that's, and, that's, and, and that's a part of what I believe in. And if you're going to get into this line of work, it has to be, and I, and I don't call it work because it's just so easy to come by. And only easy means that I'm okay with it. I love doing it. You can go in when you're trying to uh, uh, actually impact somebody else's life and help give them an opportunity to have a second chance. Everybody deserves to live and have a successful life. And we've uh, demeaned and uh, put a lot of our young people in, in places and positions that doesn't necessarily um, – send them in the direction that they need to go in. And that's that's a lot in a roundabout way. But uh, I've always found myself in, involved with children and, and families who uh, everybody else has have counted out. I think um, and know that everybody has purpose. And if we don't, we have to take the time 
to listen and to hear and to figure that out. I won't know what uh, life is like in other states and other countries because I have not lived there. I wasn't born and bred there. So it is, to me, it's extremely difficult for people to come and say, oh, I know what you need and let us help you fix it when you've not been, and I'm going to say this, and, and it's going to be something to say, but if you have not uh, lived black, born black, and about it, you don't know what it's like to live it until you get yourself acclimated to some folk who are there. Um, one of the commentators on um, CNN one night, and I hope I don't call, I won't call his name and whatnot, but he clearly said, if you don't have any black friends, you might need to find one. So you'll know how black folk need to be treated. And, and, and it's not just African-American or people of color. That's people in general. I won't know what your culture is like. I don't know what you believe in and not. I don't want to um, uh, offend you by just assuming and I make the wrong move. And I think that's what's happening a lot of times in our community. Folk want to help, but they're not going through the right channels to get the help to, for them to understand how to help. Yeah, just... Uh, yeah. I know, I was going off in the chat. I did not want to interrupt you, but my, my spirit was like clapping, like, yes, 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 this is it. This is yeah. the goal. This is what we needed to hear. Yeah, but tell her what you said. What you, did she really oh, that they should call you preacher instead of coach, because you, I mean, that is so true. I think that that's the issue that I find with white allies more often than not, is they think that having a good heart qualifies you to help anybody, and unfortunately, it does not. Like, like you said, like, you need to be taught how to help. Same thing with, like, American missionaries going to Africa and you know, you're not really considering the needs of those people. You're assuming that they need crayons and yeah. toys. Yeah. When in reality, they need access to clean water. So I think that it's yes. so important and poignant that you highlighted that because mm -hmm. just because you have a good heart and good intentions, what do they say that the road to hell is paved with good intentions? Yes. Um, and it yes. leaves everybody <laughs> jaded on both sides, the people that are receiving quote unquote help and those yes. that have put them themselves in the position of helpers. So I think that that's, that's so poignant and I'm glad to hear that Durham Hub is addressing that and is, is aware of that. That's awesome. Awesome, thank you. Oh yeah, I mean, I think we, we gotta let Quilly cause this, you guys are right up Harmony's butt. I mean, this is, she called, she, she called, she called me a fan girl on this last show we did, but I think she's going to be a fan girl on this one. Uh, <laughs> so the next person we have is Cooley Cove. Uh, he is the executive director of PROUD, which stands for Personal Responsibility to Overcome with Understanding and Determination. And as we just did, you know, he's been doing this work for over 24 years in the Bull City. Uh, and, and this is something that I, I really, pro PROUD provides growth I think that's very, uh, very key. It says, Proud provides growth activities for disconnected youth. And I hope people hear that. It's just helping them grow. Um, and in 2017, 77% of his graduates had no adjudication for one year after completing the program. Uh, they're giving kids an opportunity to be successful. Quilly, you want to talk a little bit about what you do? And, uh, well, BJ, one, one of the issues we've always tried to, to do at Proud is try to, um, and Coach touch bases on a lot of issues that we, we talk about all the time, that when we get these young people, we have to really, really get deep into where they're at and how they got there. Um, we can't assume anything about a young person until you meet them. So when we, what we try to do at the Proud program is that big thing about personal responsibility, we're trying to 
get them to be responsible for their actions, but we have to get a little deep into the family structure. We have to see if these kids have had any support. Do they currently have it, ever had it? And, and who have been feeding them? Because we, we understand that we only have them for a short period of time, but someone has had them for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And you don't know what you don't know till you don't know it. So we try <laughs> to re-educate them, you know, on some of the things that they've heard. A lot of our young people go off on these, um, the streets is like their Bible. So whatever they're hearing on the streets, they're going to believe. If they don't have a parent or a, a, an adult or someone who can change that mentality, that's all they know. So when we when we meet them and we start working with them, we challenge them on their way of thinking. But it's our job to show them a different way of doing things, a different way of working out a problem. And we challenge them on that. At the same time, we want to work with those families because we understand what we're talking about in the evening. If it's not being supported when they go home, then we need to see how we got to deal with the entire piece. We mm -hmm. also have to deal with the community that they're coming from. So mm -hmm. other than our life skills that we do, you we really try to do wraparound services. I'm going to call coach. If coach is an educator, I'm going to call coach. I'm going to call team court. Uh, if it's a situation where they're in mental health, I'm going to call Alliance. What I try to do is get everyone together who's working with the young person so we can all be on one accord. Because what you don't want to do is have this kid pull in so many different directions yeah. that no one is making any headway with the young person. Right. Because we, Coach said it best, we have a lot of assumptions. We have a lot <laughs> of people who think they know our children better than we do. So it's a lot of theories going on yeah. and until you get to know and some of these kids I, I get on them all the time we have some intelligent young people mm -hmm. but it's not cool to be smart it's not cool to show your intelligence so a lot of times we have to build that relationship so we can get down so they can feel comfortable showing their excellence because some of our kids mm -hmm. are some of the smartest kids that mm -hmm. you, you will ever see but I got to get them to take being smart at street stuff to being smart in the classroom, being smart in the community, making better decisions for themselves. And once we unleash that, these kids got their potential is, is at a whole nother level. Once we show them that they have excellence and someone believe in them, even if they're not believing in at home. So we believe in pulling all the community partners together at the Proud program and making that young person as great as they can possibly be. Well, yeah. So th thanks for the intro. I think what, you know, one of the things, obviously, because I'm the popo we talked about is that, you you know, everything is resting on law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And it's like everything, you know, can you come and uh, talk to my kids? Can, you know, they, they don't know how to, they don't like police. I mean, which is fine, not liking the police, because that's not what you and five is about. I don't really care if you don't like the popo. I just need you to get home. But it's just, you know, this relationship and a lot of stuff is dumped on law enforcement. So I guess what I want you guys to kind of talk about is, you know, the role law enforcement plays in our communities, but also what other systems need to step up? I mean, we just, you know, just had a show about defunding police. So and we basically try to walk through that. And for the city of Durham, you, if you defund, if that's what you want to do, community leaders and community activists, that's fine. But where, where does that funding need to go? 
you know, organizations like you have or social services, mental health. So I kind of want to like, can, can we get some of this sticky? Hold police officers' feet to the fire. God knows I insist that you do. But when it comes to, I think we had, we had Steve Chalmers on. Basically, if these other systems do what they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> the interaction with police is going to automatically decrease. Because these well, other systems. The <laughs> well, I, yeah. I know. Now, but, I'm just saying but, that. Yeah. They can say what they want to say. But I need the police. But yeah. when I call them, I need them to be, I need them to be willing to come over and I said come the exact over same with a good thing. heart and come and settle yeah. and deal with something Absolutely. that needs to be done. Yeah. That's a, and that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Yeah. And defunding yeah. don't mean to de- to decrease and get rid of. I don't right. know what people think, and that's about the craziest thing I've ever heard. Because well, Yeah, go ahead and talk about that. Yeah, I I, I, I agree with Coach on that. Me and Coach talk about this. When I first heard that, first thing I'm thinking about the political season, I say someone is going to use that in the political season and say, here they go want to defund the police. Mm -hmm. First of all, Coach hit it on the head. We must have law enforcement. Now, we need police reform, but we don't need to defund the police. We need to take a look at what's going on because like any system, you got bad police like you got bad teachers, just like you got bad anything. I think we have to take a strong look at getting the community involved, even if it's a citizen review board of what's going on when it comes down to what's going on inside. But we got to get away from this defunding police. I think it's the most idiotic thing we can do. But at the same time, if we want the law enforcement to trust the community, the community got to trust law enforcement. So we're going to have to meet in the we we have to meet somewhere and and break down those barriers. And we can't do that unless we have some type of reform because I think it's a culture. You got some great police. I've had police who could come over to the prior program. The kids, the kids on the street know the police they can count on. Trust mm-hmm. me. And they also know the police to stay away from. They've always done it. They've, they could tell you what's going on in every community. So mm-hmm. I think some of the things we got to do, and me and Coach talk about it, is one, we have to look at and really have some serious conversation about mental health. We, we, we got to add some things. It, I, I think with like social service, I think some of these organizations need to have a liaison in the police department that are trained in law enforcement, but also trained in mental health. So they can identify some of the issues that we may see. I think we got to work closer together um, as a community. So it's a trustworthy thing going on when it comes down to how we're dealing with some of these issues because law enforcement can't solve every issue. A lot of it is community wide, but if we, if, if nobody in the community trusts law enforcement, we're going to have an issue because then the, the, the young people going to do it their particular way, their parents feeling what happened to them in 1975, which is totally different from 2020. <laughs> so we have to really go back and do some re-educating <laughs> and go back to good old fashioned community and police working together. And when we have an issue, I I think the community can't govern themselves and I think the police department can't govern themselves. We're gonna have to work together with some citizen review type of situation so we can really talk about those. We don't never talk about an issue 
until after an issue takes place. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and, and I think we got to do more of that ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally, I 100% agree. Um, I, and, and like you said, they took the terminology and used it to their advantage to make it look, uh, to turn it in, into a negative when they was talking about defunding the, the police. But what, what I'm taking from it, and it should mean a lot more of what Quilly just explained is police reform, using dollars to educate and train in, in areas. This is 2020, 21st century. You can't do what happened back in the 19th, 18th century, what's going on in 2020, and it's 21st century. Now, if, it, if I had anything to do with it, and yeah, I know I don't, but anyway, <laughs> if, if I just had something to do with it, I would actually create history classes because it's not enough information. I believe a lot of the officers, if they even had an inkling of what it has taken, what it what what it has taken for black and brown people to even get this far in life, and all the trauma and traumatic things that has gone on in their lives, they would be a little bit more receptive of when they walk up on the incident. Why this kid is vexing the way he is and doing? They don't know anything. They're thinking from their cultural and their and what they've learned and their idea of whatever. We couldn't even have we get funding for for. But projects and our nonprofits that were to to the to the donors were like, surely you don't need money to take a kid to the beach. Who doesn't go to the beach? Mm. Surely mm. you don't need money to show a kid how to ski mm -hmm. or fly in an airplane or do not, who needs money for that? We do that all the time. I'm sure you do it all the time. These kids don't do it all the time. So they don't know what that's about. So the refunding and or defunding and, the, and reform is one thing. The other thing is we're about, we mean in um, my HUB group, and HUB stands for historically underutilized and brilliant. And what, this, <laughs> what the HUB group is oh, about wow. to launch is what a piece called Parents Matter. And this Parents Matter is, and, and this is hard, but it's true. It's holding parents and community accountable. First of all, little Jojo don't have no business out on the street at 10, 12, 11, and 13 years old at 2 o'clock in the morning. Shoot nobody. Why isn't his tail in the house and why don't you know he's in the house? How? At what point did it get where he was so, he got so out of control because let persons, people, lady, family, I didn't raise JoJo. You did. How was he born 12, 13 years ago and now he's doing what he's doing and you have been the main benefactor in his life all this point in time? So how are you going to hold the police accountable or the public school accountable or uh, 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 anybody accountable for who he is and who he's become? He's become what you have allowed him to be around and to become. You introduced this stuff to him when you allowed him to get out of control and you didn't handle the situation. Because no child has no business getting kicked out of daggum at kindergarten. I can't get kicked out of kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> you in kindergarten cursing and carrying on. How I did get kicked, kicked out, out of preschool. <laughs> I will admit, I did get kicked out of preschool. And see, I bet your mama told your tail slam up too. But well. <laughs> but maybe not, maybe not 
a there was a level of respect right where you knew that you didn't want to be miss carolyn's daughter and everybody looking at you sideways acting because you acting out so mm -hmm. it started at the house where people where, where you were exposed or are are exposed because where do kids pick this stuff up at come on people come on now if we're gonna be real about what's happening and what's going on let's get to the root you can't kill a, a flower or anything till you kill a root and the root is identifying <laughs> where this started and being and, and being open and willing to do something about it how can you have five kids and, and four out of five in the justice system something ain't right but you want to oh the police did this the police shot my son and the police did that and did that if your child was where you should have known him to be because your 14 year old shouldn't have guns in their closet and you know they in there mm. your child shouldn't be your door shouldn't be open for a gang members to come and live in your house and be in your house and you not hold them accountable and you don't call me and tell me oh miss miss Dunf, do you know uh, james is at my house no, you just gonna let them stay there? I should know that. That should be a level of respect that we all are looking out for everybody's kids. If we're gonna continue to mm -hmm. uh, say that it takes an entire village to raise a child, and it does. Mm -hmm. So if you see my child someplace he or she has no business being, and you know it's harmful, then I one has to be have to be also receptive. But you should at least be able to come to me. And say, mm -hmm. look, this is going on. Mm -hmm. Not house those kids. They're kids. Mm -hmm. And they're going to get away. But Coach, you made a good point. You got to be receptive. And the issue is the parents are not receptive. The, the, the People got mm -hmm. to put it where it is. Mm -hmm. I will go on the record and say the kids we work with, over half of them, the issue are the parents. Yeah. But Let's just I keep have, it real. The I feel like I have a opposing view to that i think a lot of these parents and this is something that i've realized as a social worker a lot of these parents are low functioning and they don't have i don't think they have the emotional capacity or language i don't think that they have i, I think there's so many things that they're lacking right i mean whether it's well, I'm with you, you I'm, not, know? I'm not saying they're not lacking okay the so skills. all right what well I'm i just want to acknowledge that people that, are lacking that's going to be that's going to be the issue now yes we got to help them too but our first priority is going to be the youth. So we got to see how they got to the system. So if their parents were low functioning, we got to take a look at, okay, the parents are low functioning. What happened to the parent? But you got generational or low function parents. Yes. Oh, that's, absolutely. That's why, that's why a few guns in McDougal Terrace, which me and Coach yes. had worked in for years, yes. have had this year after year after year. Yes. So you got to break the cycle in the, in, in the community. Yep. Somewhere you got to break. We can keep saying that. We can keep acknowledging that. Where do we break yep. the cycle? Because if we don't never break the cycle, yep. the system going to continue to do what it's going to do. It's going to continue yep. to. That's why we got 95% African-Americans coming through the judicial system. Yep. I know darn well some white folks committing crimes. Yep. But some type of way, they're not ending up in the yep. system. Yep. So we got some systematic stuff that we know take place. I'm not blaming parents, but when you take a look at it to see, like Coach said, why that kid ain't here, why that kid is at 2 o'clock in the morning, why when that teacher who is concerned called that mother to say that your child ain't in school, right. you curse that teacher out. 
That mm-hmm. teacher ain't gonna yeah. ask. That teacher yeah. don't care if you low functional, because after you curse her out, she's never gonna call you again. again. Yeah. So the so the so the thing of it is empowering parents because they are. I hear. I so hear you, Harmony. That but it has to break at some point, and this is what the 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 um, uh, parents matter piece is. It's not to tear down, but to build up. We're hoping mm-hmm. we get cool. so many people on that we have to do a, a giant big screen Zoom of some mm-hmm. sort <laughs> so that we can start talking about it because every parent loves their child. I don't care if they're the richest parents in the world or yeah. on crack. Though they love their kids, but they've caught up themselves in a hurt place. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to get out of their hurt, so they'll hurt hurt their children because this is what they know in generational trauma. And there's and that whole trauma and, and, and whatnot. You at the bus stop cussing the little boy out. What kind of, you what then what he's supposed to go to school and do but cuss right. somebody out when he's uncomfortable with their conversation exactly. or something right. of that sort? Mm-hmm. So it's a twofold, but we gotta yeah, put we gotta enough, we have to put enough uh, concern and monies into doing this. It's mm-hmm. not the police job to raise no. your child. Your right. child should like... be raised. There's a level of respect. It is even biblical that you're supposed to respect authority I, I, all the way through. Now, some of them are jacked up, but that don't give me the right at, <laughs> at, at, at six years old to cuss the police out. What the world? <laughs> but but, but the, the thing about it, you know what pisses me off more than anything? If you darn needed the police, you call them. Something happened. Call the police. Call Popo. Call the police. Now, but you hated the police two minutes ago. Exactly. Make no exactly. sense. Yeah. No, I mean, I definitely Let's it. stop playing games. We've been battling that in the community for years. We've been battling the fact that some folks, you come with your issues, and you may have had your issues. But the first thing I ask any parent who brings a kid to come to my program is what you want for your child. Yep. What do you want for your child? So if you want a better life, or you you understood what you went through, if you already at 40 years old and you've went through some things, do you want your child, regardless of where you at, do you want your child to have better or, or what? Once I kind of get established what they want for their child, even if they don't know what they want for their child, we try to assist the whole family. Now, right, because and, it, it, and, it's a moot point if you don't. I mean, especially with yeah. uh, how how young are the youngest kids that you guys work with typically? In I work with kids. So I run. A, I, I ran a summer camp for kids as young as seven to eight years old. Every wow, year. are they in mental health? So and have any of these kids. have these seven or eight year olds been in the judicial system, or they've some just been connected? They're they they some on the way. A lot of my kids through my summer camp is a program I've done with Alliance, which is through okay. mental health. Gotcha. So these kids are committing and doing things in school that are getting them suspended, like Coach said, at kindergarten and first grade. But here go the deal. Right. Once we start dealing with the parent, we're finding out those uh, and the kid these other issues. You smoking weed while you're pregnant, it's going to be some effect. Yes. If you abuse, if you're being abused in front of the kid, it's going to cause some effect. Right. And within our culture, soon as you say mental health, we shut down, we right. put you out, we don't want to talk about it. Right. And those are the community issues that we have to deal with before you end up in the judicial system. Yep. So soon as you try to get them some help, if that parent is not receptive, what do you do 
at a child of seven, eight years old right. because they can't. You can't go in unless they invite you in because right. the kid has not committed a crime, but they're doing enough that you know why they're doing it. Kid parents know their children. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. They know. Yep. They know. I, I've called too many parents, and before I could say something, they told me what they did. They did. So, like Coach <laughs> say, we have to deal with it where it's at. And we have to let some of these barriers go and some of these things we have about people coming in my house or people calling me crazy. We have to deal with the issue. I've had too many kids who, if I could have got a mental health diagnosis, they wouldn't be sitting in central prison right now for 20 years. Wow. And, 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 and the would not work it, with me it, when they was 14 and yeah. 15 when I could have got them diagnosed. And then we could have gotten the help they need. Yep. We ain't crazy. You just trying to label my boy. Why am I going to label your child? I'm trying to keep your child out. But as <laughs> soon as your child committed that crime and yep. now he's going to prison, you want me to come testify. But, I can't do nothing for you. But see, for so long, we try, we ignored. This is why Quilly and I and Sabrina and some other folk, we all have worked together hand in hand and tried to support each other because the philosophy is the same. That, what he just explained is relationships. Right. New, New Horizons existed for 18 years. It was a, um, it started off as a program and it kept building and building because we served the kids who were suspended for 365 days. Yes, at some point, at one point in Durham County, kids were being suspended for 365 days, which mm-hmm. meant that if they got suspended on February the 12th, they could not return until February the 12th of next year. Now, that's a whole two years. That is a whole two years out of school. What did you want him to do? Then you had the audacity to merge the two school systems, the county (laughs) system with the city system, and you sent all the city kids out to county school and people who didn't look like them, think like them, or even want them there. They got all jacked up and screwed up over there. So then we create, not even realizing this place called New Horizons that's opening its doors for to bring kids in who you understand got some issues, but know, as Quelly just explained, are brilliant, but nobody has taken the time. So the process of coming into New Horizons was just the same. We sit down and had a conversation with the parent. The parent and the child comes in, and it is what it is. Ma'am, this is what happens here at New Horizons. This is how we operate. These are the rules and regulations. We were the only high school in 97, 98, and 98, 99 that had a, a dress code for high schoolers. You're not coming in here looking a hot mess because people treat you <laughs> the way you look. And we taught them that. So we had a dress code. But when they came in, the conversation with, with, with the parent was just like those um, items I just listed. This is how we do. This is how we operate. This was, is what allowed, and this is, not, is what that's, that's not allowed. And here is a list of them. So now, at the end of the day, in the conversation, now you, parent, have to decide whether you want little JoJo to go here or not because we're not bending the rules for anybody. And these are what the rules are. So if you don't like how we handle business, you need to let little JoJo go with you back out the door that you came in because in here, we don't do that here. And 99% of my the parents that came in, we are still in relationships 18 years later. Mm-hmm. We're still talking about their kids and how they're doing. They're still asking me if the school is still open because I got some more kids that need to come. Jesus Christ. <laughs> some more kids that need to come. And why not? Right. Because 
of relationships. And we said what we did, what we said, and what we couldn't do, we say we couldn't do it. Instead mm -hmm. of having them hanging out there, dangling on the stream, and they had, and the biggest part of New Horizons was the parents had to agree to mm -hmm. come to a, what we called our PTA once a month. Now, I'm telling you right now, ma'am, if you don't come, if you don't send a representative to come, then JoJo cannot come back in here and tell you do. Okay, so they're going to play the card. Send JoJo the, the day after the PTA and nobody shows up. And I'm out there just waving. Hold on, wait, 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 wait. No, ma'am, he got to go home. Nobody came here last night to <laughs> represent him so he can't stay. Well, I had this to do and I had that to do. And I say, you know, I am sure you did. But until... Somebody can come and, and take an interest in this kid. I'm not calling you over here to tell the throw him under the bus. I'm calling you to tell you how well he's doing. Right. And we need right. your support if he's going to keep on going down that path. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. From that point on, I'm telling you, parents come, they respect, they be a yeah. part of it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so what, Andrew, you had something I saw in the, in the chat box. What, what you got? You all kind of mentioned it and touched on it a little bit earlier. I just I wanted to get your perspective on there's a theory that I guess we were educated on in school and just kind of just talk about it just in general conversation about the school to pension excuse me, I can't talk. The school to penitentiary pipeline. Um and you like you all kind of touched on that a little bit. So I mean, do you, have y'all heard of that theory or just like in Oh know? yeah. We we we've been working with that since it came out. We've been talking about that before they made a big study on it, um, about the school to prison pipeline. And a lot of times it take place because of what was going on within the schools. Um, when you've had a lot of these young people, like Coach have said, you got parents who are not showing up at meetings and things kind of go on, and you went to a no-tolerance policy. So when you go to those type policies where two kids get into a fight, mm -hmm. and now that fight turns into a simple uh, affray, then you're in court. So a lot of kids, it was a quicker way, especially when we had different resource officers or police officers, which I think they need to keep them in the schools. That, that's just my particular piece because we got more educated resource officers now who are building relationships with young people. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the issues we've had in a long time in Durham, I can't talk about other places, I can really talk about Durham, is a lot of the kids who were were being suspended out and being put out, like they said, before it was a new horizon, wasn't necessarily put out by law enforcement. They were put out by school officials. And that stuff was rolling right over into the courts. It's gotten a lot better because you got more communication going on now. But like Coach say, it is certain offenses that you commit in school that goes straight to law enforcement. There's some things that go on that I'm not still are not pleased about where if a kid gets in trouble outside of the school and he commits a crime or a felony, the courts, juvenile court must notify that school. Mm -hmm. My thing is if it didn't take place in school, why? Because now you're going to get that principal, you're going to get some folks that, okay, I got to get him out of my school because I don't, you don't know what happened. Right. And, but again, you're now identifying that kid. And, and I've seen kids, right is right and wrong is wrong, be sent to Lakeview, the alternative school, for something that they didn't even do at school. 
And they end up at the alternative school, move from their environment because of they got into trouble over the weekend and it was mm-hmm. reported and that principal moved them. Yeah. Ain't nobody go ain't nobody gonna gonna confess to that, but trust us, we know. <laughs> oh yeah, I know that that happened to that. somebody when I was in high school. He had stole mm-hmm. some computers from DSA, he went to Jordan, and then they, they found out and they were like, Nope, and he had to go to Lakewood. Oh, if you went to DSA, I know that joker sent you, but me and him used to have it out all the time. So I know for a fact you got a first class ticket up out of his school. But it 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 happens and that's why we try to educate the parent. That's why we 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 like programs like Coach Them Had where we could work kid made a mistake. Now nobody my thing is I'm not gonna pat you on the hand when you did something wrong. You 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 made a mistake, you did something wrong. Yes. But we have to take a look. It can't be a one-size-fit-all. And a lot of times with our rules and regulations, that's what we try to do when it comes down to different things. And some of these kids fall through the cracks because they don't have a support system uh, in place. And that pipeline to prison thing is real, but it it, it has a lot more to do with what's going on with the school officials than the law enforcement. I can tell you that, Mark. Andrew, um, and and this is sad, and I'm never one who pumps. Uh, try to pet folk, pet, pet ourselves on the back, but the, but you guys are getting what we created 20 years ago. This whole prison, the uh, uh, school to prison pipeline, we create. There was a documentary if you want to check it out, New Horizons, um, and and maybe proud and some other organizations, uh, were uh, are in a documentary that we did with the um, with Duke Documentary Center 15 mm-hmm. years ago on mm-hmm. the school to prison pipe pipeline. Okay. We, a New Horizon school, and some of its um, participants. I don't, you, you're you're too young to know about the, the Welcome to Durham documentary. If you could ever get your hands on that piece, and that's about a gang uh, school pipeline um, that New Horizons was instrumental in being a part of. But that whole documentary that we did with uh, Duke, the uh, documentary center that was done long ago. We tried to tell these people. And that's the sad thing about where we are now and, and what uh, works me and, and makes and continue to f- push me out there to, to do a work is because we tried to tell them 20 years ago that if you don't fix this group of people who are coming, because you were trying to fix them and didn't know how, you weren't the right people in the right place trying to make it happen. And if you don't fix this population of kids that's coming through here now, that next wave is going to be worse. And what we're getting now are the kids to the kids that we were working back with 20 years ago that we tried to get you to fix. And so that whole mentality is just going, skipping, going from generation to generation. And it's even, it's, it's worse, 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 and it's ruthless. Wait, wait, let me, wait, 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 wait. Because I want to make sure people heard what you just said. Are you saying you're working with kids of the kids you used to work with? Yes, absolutely. That they have yeah. no control all over are a lot of the kids and the parents that we had back in the day when we tried to get them to recognize that you got to do something with this. Mm-hmm. With these. Then we shut down all the systems on the side, like our after school programs and and night there's no, no more yeah night night flight and no more parks and recreation in these communities. And things. Where are they going to go, and what are they going to do? I am um, putting out a plea that we get that. If right now during this epi- uh, this pandemic, 
you go down and ride in any area and you're going to find 10, 15 kids outside playing, riding a bike, doing what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to be online learning. They're not doing it because we don't have a system set up that's, that's built for them, for the kids who, whose parents don't get it. Right. So what's going to happen in June when it's graduation time and these kids don't have the seat time? So you're going to flunk them or something's going to go on and they're going to get further and further behind till they, when they're 10, 15, and 10, 11, 12 years old, I don't want to go back to school even if we opened up all the schools because they're going to be so academically behind, they're going to not fit. Yeah. Yeah. So churches, open up the door. If every church in Durham, as many as there are on every block, Jesus Christ, if they open up their doors to 10 to 15 kids, and we had the money and, and whatnot and the capacity to open up safely, you could get those kids, 10 kids, 15 kids, and put them online for two or three hours a day and make sure that they get what they got. We're going to keep on sleeping on it till in June when that 10-year-old picking up a gun, that 11-year-old, that 12-year-old, and then we want to, oh, we got a problem, we got a problem. No, you got a problem. Right. So, so and, let me, and, and, go, go ahead. Go ahead. BJ, only thing I was going to say to that, too, is one of the things I've been thinking about is back when, even when you was with the police department, those good old-fashioned gun buyback programs we used to do in collaboration, mm -hmm. buying back some of these guns. I, I'm telling you, these kids got a lot of guns. They will sell those guns. They will sell those guns to anybody who wants to buy them. <laughs> if we do a buyback program, we would get a lot of those guns off the streets. They mm. will sell them. I'm telling you, they will sell them. I'm working now trying to find a grant or something, and then once I find it, I'll get in contact with the police department. But we need to do those type of things again to at least try to get some, some conversation going because there's so many out there. They're flooding the market with guns. These parents ain't got no money. So a lot of these kids, you can't buy weed, you can't buy the stuff you used to buy when you don't have a job. So you got a lot of intense situations are going on in the streets. And I was just talking to some of the guys I know, and they was like, man, I chip in on that and need some business owners, and we need to do some gun buyback. We got to get back to the grassroots things we used yeah. to do. Yeah. And then, like Coach said, we got social media, different ways to get the word out, but we have to start doing those things again quickly. It's, yeah. it's a lot going on out yeah. there. Um, wow, this is, see, this is what, Harmony, this is what I was talking about. These are the folks that are getting it done. Yeah, you know we need I mean? a part two for this, for sure. Yeah. Like but this is too big of a conversation for like 30 <laughs> minutes. Like there's so much more. I know. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. But I, I kind of want to just, before we kind of start closing it out, I think, I don't know what you guys looked at it, but Beyond Policing um, yes. thing that, that, that yes. um, is here yeah. and, and, is, is, and is now a um, task force. Uh, within the city, I guess uh, some of the stuff that they, they talk about, you know, harm free zone and all. I mean, I kind of I like some of the stuff that they're talking about, but what I, but I don't know whether you guys have looked at it. Some of the people that are involved, they're uh, and I, you know, they're not exactly pro police, and I'm okay with that. I don't I don't care. That's not right. my issue, and because they do have some things, I think, like you're saying, get back to you know, know your neighbor. You know, you know, you call Miss Harmony to get Andrew. You know, can you get Andrew off the corner? I mean, so, you know, but, but that takes education. Uh -huh. Like you're talking about that, that takes relationships. That, that's relationships that I feel yeah. comfortable in my community to pick up the phone and say, Miss Harmony, do you mind getting your son off the corner? And how do we, how do we get these groups that are, that are pushing these 
ideas and programs and philosophies to understand. And I appreciate it because you, you can say what you just said about it. It's root. It's at the house. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't. Re- so what, when I read these things, I'm thinking you got to educate that community mm-hmm. to do that. So, so what is your opinion yeah. about, you know, how, what does that look like for these groups that are trying to do the right thing? But they don't have, and they, some of them probably do have your vision. I don't know. I don't know whether you know any of these individuals here, but just tell me what you think about what they're trying to do and what that's going to take. Well, one, we, may have, we may have to go through the packs. We, 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 well, I know what we used to do back in the, 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 back in the days. When we, anytime you <laughs> wanted to go into somebody's community, anytime you wanted to go into somebody's community, you will find out who was a community liaison. So you would find out the mother, the father, that person in the community who would get you in. So I think these groups gonna have to go back to working with the people in those communities who can bring them to the table to talk to the people who could bring the folks into the community. So if they haven't done their homework and when they first go in and BJ, you know how this used to be, you gotta be thick skinned. Mm-hmm. You got to listen to the community because they're going to talk trash when you first come in because they're like, now, why are you here? But right. we got to get back in order for them to make the difference they think they want to want to make. They're going to definitely have to find out who are the new community leaders. Back in the days, you knew who you could call when you wanted to go into Few Garden. Right. You knew who mm-hmm. you could call when you wanted That's to go right. into MacDougal. So mm-hmm. it was a person you could call who could set up that meeting between the most influential people in that neighborhood who everyone listened to. They got to talk to those people. Because like Coach said at the very beginning, going into somebody's turf, telling them what they need is not going to work. They're going to reject it. But you got to put, and you have to put programs back. And that's how you got a strong leader, is that there were programs that benefited the children. If you get them kids, you're going to get the parents. And so if you've got strong programs, so those people who are saying or uh, that we don't, we don't need the police, let the community, the community police themselves, are you really, are you serious? How much sense does that make? They can't even police themselves. So right now, it's to a point where you almost have to lead and guide them. When I started working in the Few Gardens community, I, was, I came from Virginia Beach, Virginia and walked into Durham, and I walked into Few Gardens. And you know what Few Gardens <laughs> was about, about back in the day. Yeah. Had no clue, no idea, but I was able to build relationships because I love the kids. I did what was best for them. Right. Take doing, putting things together, setting up opportunities, doing, taking them places, and spending that quality time. You will get the parents if you put your money where your mouth is and stop giving it away and, and trusting people who have no clue to what this lifestyle is like or about, but you want to say, oh, if the book says, and the book says, that's like trying to raise your baby and you're going to go read the book, chapter 10, and say, well, when he do this, you supposed to, really? It doesn't work that way. And you can't keep <laughs> treating these kids, these families, if, if they don't matter. They matter. And if you start, and whenever you begin to treat, treat them that way, they're going to give you and, and, and give you back what you're looking for. So a lot of it is revamping and reforming our communities by providing governing, really governing. I've had some organizations to say, like, you know what? I got like um, $1,500 and I want to just give it to a family. 
our family to do what with? Not we. <laughs> Come on no. now. Why not? Why not put it and, and we can give it back to the family, but help hold them accountable. Let's require something from them and not require it because we want to, but it will benefit them. Not just to say, oh, well, I ain't gonna give you this till you do that. Yeah, I'm gonna give you that when these things happen and things that's gonna help them better themselves and help them better their family. Like come up, for instance, if nothing more than let's come up with a family plan. If you show me a family plan, I'll give you $500. What are you gonna do with your family from now until your baby graduates from high school? Or what is your plan for your children in this next level? What is your plan for getting out the projects? Something to help them get better. Well, y'all, I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, it's just this is the conversation that people have, and you guys, you know, I keep saying it's cliche, but you know, the real deal, the real talk. And, and the thing is, law enforcement understand this as well, too, what you're saying, because I'm, you know, I'm sitting here nodding my head, yeah, I, I know, I know. Uh, it, it really is is the root you know how do you help these families help themselves you know how do how do you do meet them i mean law enforcement says it you know meet them where they are but then you know they law enforcement can only do so much because right. that's not our, that's not our wheelhouse you know so but these other folks that are trying to do that you know you, you got to talk to folks that are on the ground getting it done so yeah, yeah so this is and bj i'm gonna say this to you yeah. one of the biggest issues we have to do is teach especially to get the community, especially this new generation, especially to get the police involved. Because like I said, you don't let nobody rob your neighbors. You don't let nobody break into your neighbor house. Mm -hmm. These young cats don't even know the code. Mm -hmm. You don't let wow. nobody rob somebody in your neighborhood. Because mm -hmm. if you allow that, you've just broke the code. And, and, and the biggest thing what our young people don't know no more, and I have to teach them what I don't do, 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 my staff do, they don't know the difference between a snitch and a witness. Yes. <laughs> they don't know the difference. And we break it down to them. I said it's the whole show called First 48. Educate yeah. yourself. Because some <laughs> of you all going to be in a jam if you don't listen. Exactly. We have to do that. We got to go back to the community stuff and they're taking pride because you like I say, the cops can walk through and knock on door. They can do walking walk talks and knock on door. Ain't nobody going to say nothing. Right. Right. Yeah. They're not going to say nothing, but it is what it is. But like I said, BJ, you right on with this. I think it's more you, you keep doing this and keep getting this word out. Yeah. Coach getting ready to start this one about parent matters. Of course, I'm working with her on that. And mm -hmm. we're going to keep trying to do what we can to educate as many people as possible because we got to save the kids and we're going to help the parents too. Because mm -hmm. like Coach say, I got kids of the kids that I used to work with. And see, that's just, that's, let's just leave it at that. That says a lot. That says a lot. Um, so thank you. And, and Coach, uh, we're going to put links to your – I know you're working on your stuff, Coach, because uh, when, we yeah. hopefully, when we post this, uh, we'll, hopefully you'll be at a space that we can post information about it and advertise it in Quilly. Uh, we'll obviously be having the link for, for Proud as part Please. of the, 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 the social media when they click in to, to the podcast. So they'll definitely have the information. Um, as well. I think I'm going to need, uh, I'll talk to you real quick after we get through, but thank you. I mean, this has been, this is exactly what I, I'm, this is, like I said, the last show guest that we're having this year. And I think this is a good way to say it. That we, it's, it's, it's definitely beyond the popo. It's, it starts at the root 
starts at the root. And um, as a community, we need to at least, and I appreciate you guys acknowledging that. Let's yeah. at least acknowledge it. Yeah. Acknowledge that. That's where it yeah. starts. So, uh, Harmony and um, Andrew, you guys got anything? Harmony? Um, no, I think that, like you guys said, like you're on the right track. Uh, families are are where we learn how to love, what we're worth, what we're not worth. Um, You know, they are the integral system that help us develop either in a positive way or in a negative way. I think one thing that we do need to be careful of, however, is, you know, in the media, there's always like this perfect victim of this person that was, you know, came from these, these hard circumstances and they were out there and they persevered. They didn't go to jail. They didn't experience any trouble, but that's not the reality for a lot of folks. So I, I just, I, I, I hope that people can abandon that perfect victim narrative oh. and understand that people are people. We're all going to screw up and everybody's exactly. path is not the same. Um, and, and I really love that you guys are supporting families because, you know, I think about it all the time. There are people out here that don't know that they're loved. They don't know that they're important. They don't have a table to sit at at Thanksgiving. When Christmas exactly. comes, there's not a present under the tree. Nobody's saying happy birthday. I mean, how, I can only imagine how worthless that would make somebody feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you, you how, how can you even struggle to imagine that they would do things that are deviant mm-hmm. or that they would engage in things that are chaotic? Exactly. I mean, when you're taught that chaos is peace, you're going to thrive in chaos. So, mm-hmm. you know, I definitely think we need to have a part two of this conversation because there's just <laughs> so much more to talk about. Um, but I really appreciate the work that you guys do. And it's, it's so clear that you're passionate. Um, I don't know how you've done it this long. I, I really and truly don't. I was a social work intern for a year and I was like, I'm out. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. So, <laughs> woo, and I was burnt out quick. I tell you what, but <laughs> thank you for, for doing this work to both of you. I think it's, it's such important, important and meaningful work. Thank you. Drew. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Y'all have opened my eyes to a lot of things I didn't realize. I'm going behind the scenes. I really appreciate y'all both coming and talking to me and me being a young person. I'm kind of able to see both sides of it. I guess I'm young, but not young at the same time. So I'm able to see the young person's point of view and also the adult side of it as well. So I appreciate you both. So, so uh, elaborate on what you, what was one thing that they opened your eyes to that you didn't, that you had thought about? I guess the, com- the community aspect of it. Um, I, I work with children in like very far removed. My mother's a teacher, so I'm able to see um, some of the things that go on behind the scenes in regard to teaching and mentorship as well, too. Um, but just being able to see you both working and actually getting your hands dirty in this break really um, impresses me a lot. Yeah, that, they, that's, I think that's another way to put it. They're getting their hands dirty. They're not just, you know, talking about programs and what you can do. They're, they're, they're down in the mix, so yeah. So thanks, guys. I really appreciate Quilly and Martina for, for coming on and, and, help, and helping us close out our 2020 podcast season. I really do appreciate you guys doing this. So I hope everybody you know, benefited from this conversation. And um, like I said, we, <laughs> we're probably going to have them back at some point in, in 2021 to, to do some more and see where they are and see if anything, especially with some of the things that we talked about this this. Uh, task force safety wellness task force that kind of is talking about the things that they're talking about and how they're going to go about it and if in fact it's going to have an impact and what what their viewpoints are that because i'm really interested in, in what they're trying to do so thanks guys thanks Quilly, awesome. for always supporting sure. me from the beginning of my un50 martina you know you know i love you you know so <laughs> you know so, so i love both of you guys you've always been there been very supportive and um, it means a lot to me no, so thank you thank so you much no problem thank appreciate you. you appreciate it yeah. appreciate you so it's 
Yeah. So as always, uh, everybody stay safe, stay well, and uh, peace. Peace. Hope you just enjoyed the show that we just did with um, Quilly and uh, Coach D. Uh, so we obviously recorded that a little earlier and this incident that occurred on November 5th, but hit the media on November 17th. I first saw it on the CBS this morning show uh, and uh, felt like I needed to, well, I definitely wanted to say something about it uh, because it just, there's a lot of stuff going on in it. And I, and I wanted, you know, the work that I do is about people getting home safely and, and the actions that people take when they are stopped by law enforcement. So, uh, we have attached the video uh, of the incident, not the uh, interview that was done on CBS this morning. You can Google that and, and, and find the entire video, some of the video, and then obviously the interview with the family about the incident. But what I do want to do is the quote from Mr. Zeke Rayford, the young 18-year-old uh, who was arrested at his doorstep. Uh, this is what he said when he was asked, why did you run? When I hopped out of the car, I automatically saw their weapons on me, so I just went to where somewhere I could feel safe and the inside of my house was the safest place I could think of, end quote. Uh, and I get that. A lot of folks are afraid and scared of law enforcement right now and they're afraid of not being able to make it home. But uh, whether you agree with this comment or not, don't run. It's not going to end well. Uh, but the first thing I want to talk about, he is going to be charged with some kind of, he's going to be charged with a felony for fleeing and then he's going to be charged with, with marijuana. Uh, so my first thing I look top his parents, please. Most of y'all know y'all got some edibles and some brownies stuck in that sock drawer in your bedroom. Stop playing. Uh, let your kids know that a little Mary Jane or marijuana, whatever y'all calling now, ain't going to stop you from loving your kids because your kids might get caught with a little bit of marijuana, a little personal something-something. Okay, stop. Let them know that because running because of some little small amount uh, isn't going to end well. And you could end up grieving your child for the rest of your life simply because they're running because of some little personal use of marijuana. So let me be clear. What I'm about to say is based on the perspective of a black female and also as a retired police officer. Uh, so you or nobody else to include Gail King are going to out love me uh, for the love I have in my black community, nor out just be disappointed in the actions of some in the law enforcement industry. What we do know uh, at least based on the media that was reported on November 17th, uh, the Popo said he ran a stop sign. They popped the lights on him and he didn't stop. Uh, they follow him till he gets home. And then several officers, as you can see, are, are behind him. Please be aware that if I'm stopping a car and it, I put lights on the car and it doesn't stop, I'm going to get a bunch of backup. Kind of going to be like the OJ chase, except in this instance, I don't know who this guy is. Um, because most of the time when we stop folks, we don't know who you are. We have no idea. Um, you just ran, as far as we're concerned, we just ran a stop sign. That's it. So if you don't stop, we're going to automatically begin to think, well, what have you done wrong that's more than running a stop sign? Even if it's just holding a little marijuana nowadays, most agencies could give a rat's ass about you carrying personal use of pot. Check with your local agency and see where they are on these issues. Some agencies now are starting to just take a little bit of personal use, they write in citations. So you need to check with your local agencies, your local law enforcement community, your district attorney, your judges, where are they on personal use? And, and a lot of places are using misdemeanor diversion, especially for those kids who is the first time they've been arrested. So check with your local agency to find out in local community how they're handling uh, marijuana in states where it's not legal, because it's just a new day now. So Mr. Rafer gets out of the car, guns are drawn. Remember, they don't know him. They don't know you. 
um, because you could have grandma stuck in the back trunk. We don't know that. You know, we don't know that. The bottom line is don't run. Uh, he runs to the house. Uh, he doesn't appear to have weapons because he's got his hands up. But tactically, as law enforcement, we cannot let you get inside the house because guns could be inside the house. Hostage situations could occur. All kinds of stuff could go south by me allowing you to get inside. So we can't let you get inside the house. Now, there's a possibility that it, that as a dispatcher, they could have been telling them as they were following him after he ran a stop sign and giving him the name of where he lived based on the tags on the car. It might have let some anxiety on the officers, you know, kind of calm down a little bit, uh, saying, well, you know, that's the correct address. That's where he's pulling into. But it doesn't necessarily mean that because it, 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 we just don't know. OK, the bottom line is they operate in a world of they don't know who you are. Uh, so he gets out of the car and then, of course, he runs. Now, he gets to the door and the officer began to tase him to get control of him. They feel that he's resisting and this is less than lethal that they're using by the taser in order to get him to comply. Most of you are like, when somebody gets shot, like, why didn't they use a taser? Well, they use it in this instance to get him to comply. Mind you, at first they had their guns out. It appears that they holstered the guns and now pulled out their tasers. So they did. They went from weapons, put it up, and then used the taser. Please keep that in mind. You may not agree with it, but they did. The officer kneeing him to me, sitting in my couch, in my room, safely, not doing anything, looks excessive, but I wasn't there. The officer threatening the dad when he opens the door to me is poor bullshit and not necessary at all. Completely unprofessional and should be handled or disciplined on how they communicate and on how uh, doing stress, uh, period. That's just my personal opinion. It's up to the agency to figure out what they're going to do with that. Um, so you don't have to agree with my assessment, but here it is. What I will tell you, don't run. It will never end well. I got back. Police officers have sons, black sons, and police officers, black police officers are telling their black sons, don't run. Don't run. I get the argument of, of uh, doing this UN50 for the last five years, and if I don't run, uh, or if I do what they tell me, it doesn't matter. No matter what I do, they're going to kill me. They are not going to kill you. Individual officers are making a, uh, egregious and deadly decisions. Not every officer in this industry is going to do that. If you run or resist, then you're giving more weight to the officer possibly using deadly force, okay? And then when they get to court, it's going to be difficult for them to find the officer guilty of using deadly force because the fact that you have resisted. It's the law. The law is more than often than not going to support the officer. So as morbid as it sounds, let's try to put that burden on the officer uh, that he had no, there was no reason for him to use use of force or the kind of force that he may have chosen, he or she may have chosen to do because you were doing what they asked you to do. You were doing what you were supposed to do. You were being compliant to all the instructions and then you still were injured and or shot. Make the case to make it harder for the jury to find the individual officer guilty of excessive force. I will offer this to you. If you're afraid again, don't run. These officers chose not to shoot. Other officers may have chosen to shoot. You have no idea what an individual officer will do. And to assume that they all will make the same decision is not based in reality. Your action will get a reaction. You just don't know what that type of reaction is going to be, but there's going to be a reaction. So complying, in my humble opinion, in my doing the work that I do, is your best action. If you feel afraid of an officer pulling you over, do this. Once you get um, pulled over, and we use this tip for females when they feel like they're being stopped in a dark, dark area, 
uh, slow down, turn on your, your flash or whatever speed limit you're at, half it, you know, if you're in a 50, slow it down to 25, uh, but just make sure that you uh, slow down, put your emergency lights on, turn on your interior lights on, and I know you got a telephone, dial 911, and tell the dispatcher that you're on road X, uh, and that there is a police officer behind you, and that you're aware that they're behind you, but you don't feel safe, and you're going to drive somewhere until you feel safe, you know, that's, you know, more lights or more public, you know, however you feel. That dispatcher should, in, should then, in turn, relay that information to the police officer, will just probably call out and say, is there an officer on road X uh, trying to stop a car and then relay that information. And so they'll understand what you're doing. And then you travel somewhere, don't abuse it. You don't need to travel far. You know, they may give you a mile, but really as soon as you can pull over somewhere safe, do that and remain inside your vehicle until they approach the car. And then if they ask you to get out, you have to get out if they ask you. But once you stop, just sit there and wait till the officer um, approaches the car. Now I live in Durham, North Carolina. Um, <clears throat> so if you get stopped in Durham, North Carolina, you cannot drive with your flashes on all the way to Greensboro. That's just not going to be a good look. And if you, cause if you do that, uh, you're going to have more police officers on you uh, than in the parking lot of a Krispy Kreme donut shop. So you can use that to help out because officers are used to that. Uh, then I would also, you know, just the bottom line, I need everybody to get home. Just get home. That includes the officer as well. We're all trying to get through the Thanksgiving holiday and the Christmas holiday through this pandemic where we may not be able to see our loved ones. I want you to get home safely. So we can get through this pandemic and you can get that hug that you need from your family, family members you hadn't seen in a while. So as always, stay safe, stay well, peace.